And so they see that. And then they go back to the station and they're like, this dude was on fentanyl and he was like screaming and rolling all over the ground, yada, yada, yada. And then that turns into a fentanyl overdose. Looks like you're speaking in tongues. And then that turns into we need to scare the shit out of these kids. We need more funding for police. We need to demonstrate amongst our community that we're actually together by projecting this lie that we all know is bullshit. But if we believe in it hard enough, it'll demonstrate community with us. And maybe they're doing random drug tests and I have some drugs in my system and I want an excuse. And then that turns into a cop rolling on the ground pretending he's having a federal overdose. You are about to enter a nexus of science, violence, and nonsense. Where fake news, pseudoscience, and weaponized stupidity meet full contact fact-checking and peer-reviewed ass-kicking. And as always, no bullshit allowed. Science is interesting. If you don't agree, you can fuck off. Let's do this. I am Mark Edwards. I run the Ultraviolet podcast, which is just my own little like hobby horse side project where I talk to people I think are cool and interesting and put it up on the internet as all middle-aged people that look like this seem to do now, including having another one. Frost was on the show at one point. I actually just started a second podcast that's coming out with my friends Bellamy Ray and Fantastic Mr. Fox on YouTube. And it's going to be like a, yeah, like a, a dating show for like dudes who are falling into like the MRA pipeline. So hopefully trying to catch those cats before they go down that Andrew Tate hole. <laughs> uh, so we've got that's coming out here in the next week, two weeks. We're, we're working on that. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I do online now. Professionally, I am a paramedic and I have been a paramedic for about 10 years. I haven't been in the streets in about a year. I've been working in ER, but most of my career I spent working 911 in a urban setting. So I've dealt very closely with the ramific like the effects of the opioid epidemic in America. And I was also at one point a junkie myself. I was addicted, yeah, I was addicted to pills when I was in paramedic school actually. And I kicked the habit right before I graduated. So like I've, I've been on both sides of that and I have hashtag feelings about the way we handle it both at a policy level and at like a rhetorical and political level which i expect is why i'm here so but that's yeah. kind of that's kind of my my sales pitch for me no that's great yeah and you have what the uh, the, the smart people call lived experience so we uh, yeah we're, we're all my, my standpoint is it yes. epistemic as fuck <laughs> yeah which you know if you ever hear like the uh, the midwit brigade talk about it is like no it's not reality it's not empirical and you know, yeah falsify sorry i'm in the middle of writing a piece on on midwits and so that's that's occupying a huge portion of my brain i don't know if you saw that the yeah, tweet, irony tweet by friedman the you know that, that I posted oh, yeah. there. it was like everything is a computer god sorry sure I'm not really great about keeping podcasts on topic. If you haven't noticed, I usually, when we started this thing, we, we have a crew that that's there. And usually, but one of the guys, uh, John JMP from the forums will like nudge me and be like, dude, just get back to the subject. Cause these are like, he's our actual moral compass and things. And, but I, I just ramble it's because people want to hear a conversation between, you know, 
dudes that you know know about things and but it's not natural to be like okay for 15 minutes in we're going to talk about this yeah, and then yeah. we're gonna talk about that that's not what people talk about and that's probably why joe rogan actually has such a huge audience because yeah interesting conversations with interesting people as long as they're interesting for the right reasons you know yeah yeah so yeah no that's my my philosophy as well i tend to not yeah i think it works better that way right yeah so, so you've obviously never died to fentanyl. You've never been, you know, like kicking and screaming on the floor or on the ground after coming in contact with somebody that, that did fentanyl, you know, never, never, never been around a cop that, you know, was that did the funky chicken because, you know, somebody had fentanyl, you know. No, no. I, I mean, I've heard people talk about that. That didn't like the whole the I, I actually I have my own pet theory about that re cops doing that we can get into it later if you want. But like I, I was not that didn't become a thing until after I got on the truck. Yeah, I have a theory about where it came from and I have a theory about why it's being done. But I was not when I was still on working 911. It was still very much a not not a not a thing that had made its way into like, oh, my God, we're all going to die from airborne fentanyl. That was sort of like a, an urban legend. And it wasn't at the stage where people were acting it out. Yeah. I mean, my I, I think I mean, it's obvious anybody that pays attention to this sort of thing that. There is there are a lot of angles and a lot of benefit to having the panic, the public in a panic about this new threat, this new thing to, you know, hide your kids from. And, you know, they're they're coming for you because I swear it's one thing after another. And there's always some dude behind that, you know, in the mask. It's like an episode of Scooby-Doo who's like, oh, you know, and yeah, so I think how it like how it initially started if i were to lay i have no evidence for this, this is just conjecture that comes from having woken up a bunch of people with narcan is very frequently narcotics are not the only thing that a person has taken so very often you will get people who are speedballing so they're doing like coke and heroin or they're doing meth and heroin and if they get before we get into this, maybe just like some primer about what fentanyl is and like like why it's so dangerous. That might be more beneficial. Yeah. Um, so for, for folks that don't know, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid narcotic. It is very, very potent. For, for reference, a standard dose of morphine is like anywhere between one and 10 milligrams, usually like in the four milligram range kind of is that's usually like, that's the doses I would give people. You can get more, you can get less, but that's kind of an average range is like one to 10 milligrams is what you can expect to get if you go to the ER. Fentanyl is active in the microgram range. So it's an order of magnitude more potent. A standard dose of fentanyl is between 25 and a hundred micrograms. And there is a an image it's also much much cheaper to produce and so what has happened is cartels and like chinese manufacturers and all these other industries that produce this stuff have been shipping it illicitly around as a you know as a way to make money because it's cheap to produce and they can make money by selling it and then your local drug dealer will get it and they will step on it they'll cut it into their heroin 
or they'll mix it with some inert binder to make their supply more potent. So they'll stretch it out. Nobody's actually doing intentionally pure fentanyl, except for one dude who I know who did that, but I don't think he was, I think he was lying. <laughs> I, it, that was a weird guy. He told me he was smoking pure fentanyl. And I was like, all right, man, <laughs> I, I don't think you are, but we'll, I'm not going to argue with you, but they basically just cut it into their, the drugs that you're taking. The problem is, is that fentanyl, usually when you get it, it's granular, it's like a powder. And there's an image online, it's pretty popular. I used to keep it saved on my phone to like show people that I would wake up from overdoses to educate them about this. But it's like a vial about this big of heroin. And it's like, you know, like two thirds full of heroin. And then it's like, this is a lethal dose of heroin. And then next to it is a vial of uh, fentanyl and it's got a single little sugar grain in it. It's like, that's a lethal dose of fentanyl. I used to give fentanyl all the time, but that's because I was giving a pure product. I was giving something that had been diluted and volumetrically dosed. So I was giving you an appropriate dose. Yeah. When you when you take a narcotic from a dealer, they're not volumetrically dosing the drug. They're just mixing the powders together in a slap shot manner. And you can test the same, like you can get like, you know, like a gram of heroin test your first shot out of it and not have fentanyl in it and shoot it and then the next shot you take has a grain of fentanyl in it and you die no shit. right so that's yeah. that's how it works you you literally have to test every shot because there's no way to know if it's been mixed appropriately so that's why it's so dangerous is because there's it's very potent and there's no way to know if you're about to take it unless you literally test the drugs that you're about to put into your arm yeah. So that's fentanyl. Which is um, not something that people normally do, you know. They're they're not they're not like running like assays on the, the quality or the, the content of, yeah, a, yeah. of a drug. Yeah, well and like even and it's it's really sad because like I I know like like junkies don't want to die, right? Like like people that use heroin don't want to die. Yeah. Uh, they're trying, they're sick. They're trying to feel better, and they all know their dose. Nobody's trying to overdose. And like I know a lot of people, like I would pick up like regulars, who they test their drugs. Like they'll get a bag and they'll test it. Oh snap! But they'll still overdose. What's that? No, I said oh snap. That that's they're actually. Yeah. Yeah, some like, like, I mean, like I used to actually like give out a fentanyl test kits like when I was doing like mutual aid and stuff. I would give like people like like people take them like they want them. There's just not enough of them because you literally have to test every shot or you're not going to catch the See, one that's going to get you. I just learned something because I, I had no idea, you know, that, that's that's pretty intense. I mean, I guess because yeah. it's not like, you know, it, the, everyone that, that has done like drugs like that is just some like moron that's out there. Some people have legitimate things and it, they run the gamut of the human experience. And there, there's some people that are just all stages of life. So that that's another thing that the, the media and society points out or, or tries to create a narrative about is like everybody that's ever done drugs is just a, you know, was born a low life and that's just their lot in life. And it just, it, no man. Yeah. It's, it's set. And like the amount of fear and like, that's out there in the streets because of this is just like it, it it's created like a level of nihilism that is just it's it's really hard to like put your i can't describe like the feel of like being around people who are like you know homeless or housing insecure who yeah. are using drugs and they're not even trying to get high right they're just trying to not be sick like they're just trying to not go through withdrawals and like literally two three times a day these people are just playing russian roulette 
because yeah. there's no there is no heroin in the United States that doesn't have fentanyl in it. It just doesn't exist Oof, anymore. I didn't know that. Like, yeah, it, I mean that that might be hyperbolic, but like it's kind of like that now. Like you you buy like ten bags of heroin and eight to nine of them are going to have some fentanyl in them. It's just it's well, just, just economics. It, just how it is because I mean, yeah. given the the cost of one versus the other, and you can you know yeah yeah increase your so market. like that's basically what it's like out there is folks are like loading a gun with like five bullets that are going to make you not feel like shit and one of them is going to paint the wall with your last happy memory and you're pulling the trigger three times a day yeah so when it comes to like okay i don't know if a lot of people have seen this but there have been videos so if, if you're not aware of i have referenced this earlier but a lot of videos, a lot of like news coverage on like local TV channels and maybe even national ones of like the cops that are like having these d- dramatic reactions to being exposed to fentanyl. Like, oh, I touched it on the skin and yeah, I'm, I'm falling over and, you know, uh, twitching on the ground. So there's a lot of that going around. There's and we're not saying nobody's saying that fentanyl isn't dangerous, but have you what would you say to somebody that has bought into that sort of the narrative that if you if you if you look at fentanyl funny you're you're going to die well it's i I would first and foremost just say that's not true it's it's not readily absorbed through the skin it could in theory be absorbed through i mean it is absorbed through mucous membranes you can snort it and if you got enough in your eyes or your you know your mouth or something you'd probably get a dose but we're talking about you would literally have to walk through like a cloud of like that you could visually see of fentanyl to get enough in your mucous membranes to overdose like by proxy yeah. or like as a it, it's it's just not it's just not a thing there are a lot of reasons how this particular moral panic became a thing but it's just not like i've i've been around like i've spilled fentanyl on my skin <laughs> like in dosing like I, like i've actually had liquid fentanyl on my skin yeah. like because i like went to inject a, a vial if it was going to get through your skin it would be in liquid form too yeah. right it's not like the powder like is going to rub through yeah. that you'd buy on the street so like i've had medical grade fentanyl like just coat the back of my hand and i just like rubbed it off and like wash my hands an hour later right like i was fine i had to do a report on it because i wasted narcotics and the dea gets pissed but (laughs) but uh, you know i didn't like have i didn't overdose from that i didn't even feel it because the skin like this stuff around our bodies is designed to keep things out and it's very very good at it unless you have a specific chemical that is intentionally there to mediate a transdermal transfer and there's a very few rare chemicals that are just transdermally active but they're very very rare and none of them are narcotics yeah i've seen a lot of people argue that well they have fentanyl patches so i mean that means it can go through the skin but that that, that's yeah. not how a patch works. A patch works because there are two components to it, at least. Yeah. Yeah. One of those is a is a carrier molecule that actually goes through your skin, and that's not present in, in the street fentanyl. So, so how I think this started, back to, like, before I info dumped about fentanyl, a lot of times people who use drugs, they don't just use one drug. They use different drugs. One of the most popular things to use to do is called speedballing. What that means is you're taking a downer, and you're, you're taking a, an upper, and as you start to crash from the upper, you take a downer to kind of come down off the upper. And then when you take too much of the downer, you're like, eh, I'm nodding off. I don't really feel good. Let me take another bump of the upper. You come back up. And you just kind of keep doing that until you're done or you go to sleep. Or 
you keep doing that until the shot of the downer that you took has fentanyl in it and you overdose. Yeah. So what, what commonly people will do is they'll use cocaine and then when they're coming down off coke, they'll use heroin and then they'll just cycle back and forth. That's like the classic speedball. That's like what killed your favorite comedian, almost certainly, is a, is a speedball because they potentiate where they don't potentiate each other, but like you do enough of one and it kind of offsets the negative side effects of the other until eventually there's just too much in your system and your body can't cope and they hit you at once. So speedballs are very dangerous. I'm not a big like McGruff the crime dog. Like I think all drugs should be legal, but uh, don't speedball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm telling you that as your like friend who advocates for the legalization of drugs, even the one we're talking about don't do speedballs. <laughs> um, yeah. But what happens is somebody will take a bunch of Coke or they'll take a bunch of meth and then they'll try to come down off it by taking heroin. And that heroin shot will have fentanyl in it and they'll overdose. And then we show up with the cops, paramedics, we show up and we give you Narcan because you're obviously in a narcotic overdose and the amphetamine or the cocaine is still in your system and you wake up and you go buck fucking wild and scream and try to fight people because you don't know what's happening because you just woke up out of a narcotic overdose and now you're dope sick on top of it with a bunch of meth or coke in your system. So that happens. It's very scary and it's very dangerous. It's one of the reasons that we're not supposed to just slam Narcan. We're just supposed to give you enough to make it so that you start breathing again and you hopefully just stay unconscious until you sleep off whatever's going on. But a lot of paramedics either don't know that or they're assholes or the fire department gets there first and they just slam and they just, or, or the cops carry Narcan and they slam you with all this Narcan and then you just wake up and you're a fucking gremlin and just like all over the place. So I didn't know so the cops could, could give you, could administer drugs. In some places they can. Mm, that's that's concerning. It's, they can give you nasal Narcan. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm on the fence about it because Narcan on its own isn't dangerous. Like you can drink a gallon of it and be fine. Yeah. But like, I, I do worry about, I have complicated feelings about it that are neither here nor there. But in some places, cops carry Narcan. Huh. But that, that happens. And I think what has happened is the cops don't know what's going on. Like they have no idea what I just described. All they see is somebody... All they know is it's a fentanyl overdose and then they just started acting bananas and so they see that and then they go back to the station and they're like this dude was on fentanyl and he was like screaming and rolling all over the ground yada 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 and then that turns into a fentanyl overdose looks like you're speaking in tongues and then that turns into we need to scare the shit out of these kids. We need more funding for police. We need to demonstrate amongst our community that we're actually together by projecting this lie that we all know is bullshit but if we believe in it hard enough it'll demonstrate community with us and maybe they're doing random drug tests and i have some drugs in my system and i want an excuse and then that turns into a cop rolling on the ground pretending he's having a federal overdose okay. that's my my that's my hypothetical that's how i think that all started <laughs> well I, I think that's a more of a uh, it's a more generous interpretation of that i mean I, I like that i like that conclusion because it doesn't just immediately just snap onto the, the cynical, you know, they're just trying to, you know, maybe weed's legal in some places. So they're, they're trying to keep their funding, which is what I, I would. So, I think that's true. I just think that the reason that they're, cause anybody who knows what a narcotics overdose looks like knows that these people aren't overdosing on narcotics. Yeah. Like, so, so what I'm trying to think is like, how did they come to this conclusion? How are, it's not, they're not lying. I think they're lying. Obviously they're lying. My, my, my question is more of how did they get to this particular obvious lie? And I think that there's a 
a factor there is them actually witnessing behavior that they didn't understand and trying to emulate it. And in doing so, have demonstrated that they don't know, they can't even lie proficiently because like, you know, for those that don't know, if you take too much of a narcotic, the way it kills you is it shuts down your respiratory drive. So you basically just go to sleep and then you stop breathing. So what you see these police officers doing is the opposite of a narcotic overdose. They're either the most charitable interpretation is they think that they got exposed to fentanyl and they're having a panic attack. The least charitable interpretation is they're absolutely bullshitting and lying for nefarious purposes. And I yeah. think it probably runs the gamut between them, depending on the situation. Yeah, because, you know, you got to get got to get all that funding so that you can get all the cool toys so that, you know. You can line up outside the classroom while kids. I'm I'm gonna stop myself because I'm still mad about that shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can we can have that particular conversation if you want, but I don't know how much of your audience you want to keep because <laughs> I'll go. I think I might go harder than you on that one. Oh yeah. I mean, we can yeah. Have, well... We can have we can have that competition. I'm happy to. <laughs> God, yeah, no, I, I just I have gone pretty hard about that personally, but that, I, that's me speaking for me, not as the yeah. organization. I'm careful about that because, you know, organizationally we're we are a nonprofit. We're just trying to educate yeah. people on, yeah, yeah. on things because, you know, the fewer dumb people out there, the people that are vulnerable to misinformation, the more stable our damn society is. So less suffering in general. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I, I fully get you. So but, like, I don't know, like, what do you like when, when you see like cops doing that, like, what do you think? Like, what's your, I mean, that's, that's immediately what I go to is like, okay, yeah, you're just, you're, you're playing to the crowd because you, you want to keep up the funding, you know, uh, especially in light of the, the, the catchphrase slogan on, on the political left ish is defund the police, which, you know, that that's out there it was like, wait, well, 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 if you defund us then all everybody's going to have all these, you know, episodes of fentanyl is going to be poured into the, the, the sewer systems and they're going to vaporize it, you know, and, and then race out ghouls going to come and take over Gotham. I mean, that, that sort of sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. I I, I think uh, I think that's there. And I think that's a huge part of it for sure. I think. I, I like the, uh, what I think is like the social cohesion explanation too, like as another part of it, which is, I really do think about it in terms of like people speaking in tongues. Like if you go to like a four square church or something like everybody who's doing that deep down, they know it's bullshit, right? But it's a signifier of how committed you are to the group belief in that bullshit. Yep. And I think that's kind of what's going on there too is like if a cop does that everybody kind of knows that's bullshit including the cop yeah but if everybody there is like believes in that hard enough then it becomes like a group thing like we're out here we're the thin blue line between us and them and you see what we have to endure yeah. like it, it's it's kind of that thing like it's a group bonding experience to commit yourself publicly to something everybody deep down knows is bullshit yeah you're, you're signaling that you belong in the group and because mm -hmm. you're not going against what they're trying to the narrative that they're trying to promote because yeah it's, it's very culty so there's there's a yeah. lot of that going around these days yeah so yeah that's that's what i think's going on and then just you know general like <clears throat> like just public ignorance about drug use and drug abuse like i i don't think most people really know 
what that side of the world's like. I don't think people have ever had a conversation with a junkie. And I don't say that word like disparagingly, right? Like yeah. I just like, you know, I like I've been a junkie. I was addicted to pills for a year and which is actually like a, kind of a funny story in its own right. But like it's, you know, like we have this this attitude of denigration towards people who, in my view, have been failed by society. Right. Most people who get hooked on dope don't do it. Nobody wants to be addicted to narcotics. Nobody who's addicted to narcotics wants to stay addicted to narcotics. It's just really hard. Like you, you've, you said you've had COVID, right? And you were like sweating yeah. on the couch and stuff. Like yeah. I, when I was, when I was this past week, I was laying on my bed and I think I tweeted about this. I was like, it is remarkable how similar this feels to narcotic withdrawal. Like when I was like at the peak of like a bad, like when you're dope sick, it feels like the worst flu you've ever had in your life. And <clears throat> I would just like everybody who's had a flu that knocked them on their ass for a week and made it so your skin hurt and you could barely open your eyes. I would like you to imagine that there was a pill sitting next to you on the table that you could take to instantly make that go away and make it so you could go about your day and then imagine that that's your life every day. Mm. And that's what it's like to be a junkie and maybe like spare a tiny bit of empathy for those folks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know there's, I don't know. I don't know what the percentage of the American public that's had some sort of addiction is but it's got to be higher than what the average person thinks it is especially if you factor in alcohol cigarettes yeah. caffeine i mean honestly that's that's my ball and chain uh oh uh, yeah i've just it what is it it's eight eight o'clock at night here and i'm drinking coffee so yeah yeah so i mean like i'm you know like and i don't even like i I hesitate to use the term sober either because like I, I was also an alcoholic for 10 years and like I've gotten to the point where it's it's a lie to say that I'm sober like I'm not I drink caffeine every day I when I am having a panic attack I take a half a milligram of Xanax when I am not actively trying to pass a drug test I consume cannabis products which are legal I take Delta 8 but if if I, it was legal where I'm at to take a regular cannabis, I would use that probably daily. When once or twice a year, I will drive to a place where it's legal and I will take psychedelics. I am not sober. I just have a healthy relationship with most of the substances I use. There are two substances that I had a very problematic relationship with that caused me problems. And so I stopped using those. But I'm not sober and I don't think most people are like there are very few teetotalers in the world and I think people tend to look down on other people who have problematic relationships with certain substances because they've never had one themselves and you know it's I don't know either that I, I just, or they're I, in denial that they've had one and yeah. they'll, they'll bitch about you know these drug users and go back and pound three margaritas you know it's just yeah. it's all about framing the, the what very few people are not uh, food itself can be a drug. It's addictive. You can, you, you can be addicted to Oreos in the same sense. You're putting a chemical, which, you know, ev literally everything is chemicals into your body and you're getting a, 
a hit of like dopamine or whatever from the fact that you're ingesting something you like, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's not part of you and you put it into your body somehow, you're changing your body chemistry. So yeah. the way that we look at, at this sort of thing and our, our interactions with just chemistry in general is not the most like grounded in reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, hell, I probably have a problematic relationship with food, which is good thing that I discovered powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. Like I like I weigh 260 and I'm 510, but I could probably like throw most people over my head. Yeah. So like it's not and, I, you know, my cardio game is better than most people. It could be better, but like it's better than most people I know. Hopefully when I get that work from home office job, I'll be able to use this fucking rowing machine more than once a week. But but yeah, like I. I don't know. Like, I think I, I have a lot of like, I have a lot of feelings about people's relationship to the concept of willpower because I think willpower is kind of an innate quality that you either have or you don't, or you have it in certain amounts. And I think people who have a lot of it and who are very like the, the ability to say, I want this thing, but I'm not going to grab it that is a characteristic that some people have in abundance and some people don't have an abundance. And I think people who have it in abundance project themselves onto people who don't and just say, well, why don't you just not? And it's, yeah. well, I mean, why don't you just be better at math? Really? Yeah, exactly. I, I think the best explanation I've heard of that, because I have in the last several years come over to the, the side that doesn't believe free will exists. And that's a whole other I mean, once you once you get no, that, I'm and with then you, you there. Yeah. You, you blend it with the concept of moral luck and all these sorts of things, you just rationally develop more empathy for people that are that are in shitty conditions. Even if you're just like the most like detached, you know, what is it, the ID <clears throat> coupler person in the in the world, if you grasp those concepts, then you're like, okay, I can understand. But back to the think free will thing, the the person, and I can't remember who who it was that explained this. It's not so much about free will as it is about free won't the ability to decide that you're not going to give in to the the impulse that you know you're you're more you know animalistic <laughs> drives you know compel you to do and, and some people have just I, I what is it, the the amygdala or the prefrontal cortex that mm -hmm. that inhibits the impulse that that actually helps impulse control in that and if you if you look at a lot of the people that have who was it the best example is the uh, the clock tower shooter the UT clock tower shooter the guy yeah. he had something impairing his ability to resist impulse control and when they when they finally did an autopsy and dissected his brain there was there was a large mass that was just basically cutting off blood flow to that part of his brain that says hey don't do this shit so yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm very much team anti-free will, moral luck. A shout out to, to Benowitz. Ah, uh, filthy, great. filthy, disgusting, moral realist though he is. I agree with everything else he has to say on the subject. Yeah. But, he uh, brutalized ooh. me on, on his show when I went on there. It just, it was, it was <laughs> mean. I was, I was like, I'm glad it wasn't videoed or if it is, I hope he <laughs> deleted it. Cause I was just like, there's like rivulets of sweat running down my face. I'm like, ah, it was painful. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, that's a, I would suggest if anybody wants a vector into moral luck or a free will denial to check him out. He's got some very, I would say like accessible breakdowns of it because I'm not a huge philosophy nerd and I was able to understand most of it in a way that just makes fairly common sense. But 
don't take the moral realism pill. Stay away. He's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Aaron's a good dude. And, you know. Yeah. I I, I think we're, we're kind of, we've covered all the bases on, on the topic, especially for people with short attention spans. So, uh, yeah. So uh, how about, you know, I don't know. Uh, fuck the police, you know, if you want to get into that. <laughs> no, I know a ton of cops. We have a ton of cops in our orbit. And a lot of them are kind of like, yeah, kind of fuck some of us, you know, <laughs> I mean. So I, I actually I saw a I'm going to I'm going to shamelessly rip off a TikTok that I saw recently. So I want you to imagine that you that there's a machine, right? And this machine, its only purpose objectively, like regardless of what the people who built it had intended for it, what it does is grind human beings into a fine powder. Okay. Right. That's just what it does. Yeah. We can lie to ourselves about what it's really supposed to be doing. We can tell stories about what the people who maybe it wasn't supposed to grind people into paste. It was like supposed to, you know, stretch them out. It was like a yoga machine. But, you know, they actually made a horror movie about that at one point, I think. Hmm. Um, anyway, but it's a machine that grinds people into fine paste. That's what it does. It's an objectively evil machine, in my view. Right. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah. Like it's just a bad I, machine. It's not something um, we should does have. nothing else. Yeah. Now, now zoom in and examine an individual component of that machine. How would you determine if an individual component in that machine was good or bad, right? Let's say we evaluated along the lines of its utility. So this machine or this component of you know, it's well-built. It does precisely what it's supposed to do. It's perfectly calibrated. It's balanced. The spring tensions are all in spec. It maintains its own lubrication. It is, for all intents and purposes, a good widget. My question to you is, is it possible to be a good component of an evil machine? Ooh. And for those of you who are still not on board, the widget is a cop. Even the good ones. That is that is tough to chew on. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's one of those those things is like the rotten apples. And so many I've seen one bad apple spoils the bunch. That's the actual saying. But so many times you'll see it said or you know or hear it said that you know um, it's just the bad apples. But that's the point. The one bad apple spoils the bunch. You got to get rid of the damn bad apples, and it doesn't seem like that's that's happening. So, so it's the what is it? It's not it's not a bug. It's the feature. Feature. Yeah. 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 And then like I, so, you know, I just I I've I. I'm trying to think of a way to constructively engage with this because I have a lot of hashtag feelings <laughs> on the subject, having spent 10 years working with police. I, I will just go off Biden's most recent speech where he talked about increasing funding for police. By the way, for those of you who are bristling at the idea of defund the police, it hasn't happened anywhere. We spent two years advocating for it and right-wingers are talking about how cities got burnt to the ground, which also never happened there's been no defunding of the police anywhere in America, except for maybe one or two specific precincts. Um, but nationwide police funding has increased. There is no record spike in violent crime. There is a spike in violent crime relative to the downturn that occurred at the beginning of COVID because people started leaving their houses after quarantine was lifted. The number of officers who died in the line of duty, while at an all-time high theoretically, 
how many of those deaths were COVID because cops don't wear fucking masks. Yeah. So just let's put all that on the table and then we'll talk about the rationale for increasing funding to an organization that is already better funded than the next three militaries in the world combined. Yeah. The justification given was that these people are asked to be social workers. They're asked to be counselors. They're asked to be community organizers and activists. And I would question you, do you think that a group of people who are supposed to be quote unquote blessed with violence per our psychopath and chief David Grossman, you think that those people should be tasked with being psychologists and case managers and activists and social workers, because I would argue that anybody who carries a gun with the intention of using lethal force to stop a crime should not be the person who is tasked with doing those jobs. No, I, I agree completely. I think that's that's a huge problem is like if you have a tool that's this one of the central tools that are part of your job, you're going to rely on the tool. You know, if, if the cops yeah. showed up with hammers to a, a psychological like a, a mental health crisis situation, somebody's going to get hammered in the head, you know, more often than not. So, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> and and obviously so many of the people that, that talk about defunding the police and they're freaking out that, you know, the idea of well, we're just going to replace all cops with enough therapists or something, which we don't even have enough therapists as it is for the regular country, for the people yeah. that can afford it. So and I, I just it's it's frustrating. I'm so done with the battle of narratives that that's out there. It, everything's boogeyman. Everything's just uh, just a massive crisis. And, and it's just I would just think about it like empirically, like what is what is it that the police are supposed to do, right? What are they supposed to do? They're, they're, they're supposed to prevent crime. Right? Yes. Do they? No. No. No, they don't. You said you have a lot of cops that are in your orbit. Yeah. Cops watching the show now. I've asked cops this question. It's usually my go-to question when I talk to cops. How many murders, how many rapes, how many burglaries have you personally prevented in your entire career? How many? Yeah. Sit with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, the I'm... answer is almost certainly, almost certainly zero. And if it's more than zero, it is almost certainly because the situation escalated by your presence and you had to use lethal force on somebody who probably wouldn't have escalated their violence if they didn't see somebody show up who looked like an occupying soldier. Mm -hmm. I've watched that happen firsthand. Now, there are, there are situations. I'm not saying that police haven't stopped crime, right? That has happened for sure. But by a wide margin, that is an outlier. The job of the police primarily fundamentally you, you have a soundboard can you play the soviet national anthem as i say this the primary <laughs> job <laughs> the primary job of the police is to protect private property that's what they do they work at the behest of the state to to enshrine the rule of the state every democrat who's watching this who is upset about roe v wade i would like you to go and look up footage of what those increased funding for police did to protesters in red states who are protesting for their right to choose and their right to bodily autonomy. What do you think those police, what do you think the role of those police in red states is going to be? It's going to be to bounty hunt women who are trying to get abortions in other states. 
The job of the police is not to protect you. The job of the police is to protect private property and to make sure that you don't fuck around against the state. And the state does not have your best interests at heart. Damn. Just you just dropped it. So no, that's that's fine. That's fine. I mean <sighs> Sorry. I said I had half I have hashtag feelings. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it seems like it needs to be said because there's just I don't know. The more and more I, I have conversations about topics like this, the more it just I get overwhelmed and frustrated that there's just not the level of knowledge out there in the public or even the the drive to obtain that kind of knowledge about what's going on to such an extent that the word that ha- that originally was intended to encompass the drive or the the uh, the awareness of the sorts of social issues that are out there that need to be addressed because people give a shit and they're people that are being affected by these sorts of things, that the word itself has been demonized. So there, it's just it's just this whole game. And so, and of course, people who have not just clicked in their head that the word is woke, which is, you know, African-American vernacular English, you know, originally. And I think that the term's like almost 50 years old, if not like, like roughly around there. Yeah. Goes back to the 70s. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not entirely sure on the origins of it, but yeah, it's, it's quite an old term. But I mean, the fact that it got put into more use is like, you know, people like using that as a thing. It's like, Hey, be aware of the situation, be aware of the underlying causes of a lot of this, the, the problems that we're dealing with and why people are, are, you know, have different levels of like, God, I hate using the P word here because that always pisses people off. But the, the privilege of their, their position in society, if you, if you understand that, and you're the type of person that's conscientious and gives a shit about things and tries to reduce suffering in in, in your orbit or, you know, cares about what, what's right and wrong, you know, justice, etc. Then you, you can't help but say, OK, well, we've got to, you know, look deeper. What's what are where are the roots of this sort of thing? And that's where there's a lot of people that you know, are like getting really testy and are yeah. really uncomfortable about the, the idea of you start to examine those those sorts of things because there's there's some inescapable conclusions you might come to. And yeah. I'll, I'll leave those unsaid because I'm I'm not trying to like inject my personal opinions into this so much as just get people to 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 look and and, and examine things because there's so many. So many people that are, are trying to get get people aware of these sorts of things are demonized just just from the go. They're like they find a label, they stick, they they throw it at the wall. They try to make it into something that that's it, they turn into a boogeyman. Before it was woke, it was uh, intersectionality. It was like all it's CRT is also the the current boogeyman. Just the, these sorts of things, yeah. and they're <clears throat> they're not a a tool for indoctrination. They're just look at the subject from this perspective. Try to mm-hmm. understand things within a window, and I, and I know I'm on a rant here, but the way I I explain this to people that that have no background in you know never even taken a like a community college sociology class, is that there are certain it, the term is lenses. So you look at the world through a different bunch of lenses, right? And I I have to explain it by saying, okay, you've got polarized gla- sunglasses, right? You you spend a little extra money, you got the fancy polarized sunglasses. You see things a little bit differently. There's there's things that are clearer. And if you put on lenses that are tinted yellow to to block out blue light or whatever, you're going to see things a little bit clearer. You're going to see things a little bit differently if you're focused on filtering out certain amounts of information and just seeing things 
within this this frame and you see things within this frame and something like CRT for example is something that you're looking at to try and understand society through the lens of relationships with race and and just or intersectionality and I'll, I will admit personally like f- not too far in the distant past I was one of those people that like okay yeah what intersectionality you know what am I going to do like <clears throat> do some math intersectionality calculus and try and see where I stand on the ladder. It just, I, yeah. I, it's frustrating. So, like, so I will admit as a, as a filthy pinko lefty, wo- wokey, what, what's it's whatever privilege discourse can be exhausting at times, particularly in the way that it's conducted online, particularly on Twitter. It used to be Tumblr was the boogeyman, but you know, the, the, the privilege Olympics, I think it used to be called yeah. as the pejorative that, so like any time that you have a, a lens of analysis that is good at what it does, that is eventually going to find its way into like the pop sphere and it's going to turn into like its most vulgar and base use. And that's going to get weaponized by people who <laughs> don't really know what they're talking about or what they're doing. Yeah, And that's happened with privilege discourse like privilege discourse has a place it is it has a utility standpoint epistemology like lived experience those things have value frequently you will see people who are speaking about those things well out of their depth and they're doing it in a way that is counterproductive to in my view counterproductive to like the liberatory politics we'll see if i can think of an example of this so i'll, I'll give you an example of of where privileged discourse is appropriate and does make sense and it touches on what we're talking about at the very beginning of the george floyd protests there was a a very infamous now like interview segment i think it was on cn it was either cnn or msnbc and it was a woman who said that if you are white being able to call the police if you're in danger is a privilege and everybody lost their fucking minds because, you know, the, the implication is, well, well the, the right wing presupposition of what they thought the implication was or the cynical misaligning of the implication is that white people shouldn't be able to call the police. They shouldn't have that privilege. That's not what that meant. What it meant was if you are able to view the if you are in a dangerous situation and you think that calling the police will be an advantageous action and ameliorate the danger, that is a privilege that you have because a huge chunk of the population in America does not think that way and they don't think that way for good reason because if they call the police, that will not diminish the danger of the situation for them. It will be additive if not multiplicative of the danger of that situation. and. I have like one of my best friends, one of my closest friends in the world is a black man who is very, very wealthy, very much a start from the bottom. Now we're here kind of situation, but he lives in a very, very nice house in one of the nicest parts of the city I live in. Uh, the other, his security system has been on the fritz. And if you ever see me post pictures of like a gym on Facebook that looks like it's in some ratty basement, like that's where it is. It's in his basement. And he lets me come in and out hmm. and use the gym there. He let me put up, like I I, I built a gym and hit like a corner of his basement. I, I uh, think so, I saw that. Your so, squat rack. Yeah. 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 So he's very, very nice. So like I basically have a private gym because my friend has a big house with a, a basement that I can use. But uh, he, because uh, I sure shit ain't fitting it in this townhouse. But the other night he uh, texted me at like two in the morning and because uh, I was at work 
and he was like hey man so i discovered that the reason that the the keypad on my door has been on the fritz because that's how i get in and out as i use the keypad it's been malfunctioning he's like apparently the batteries died and that caused like a, a reset to default and now my security system is going off and it automatically dispatched police to my house so just i just want to send you a text message so that if shit goes <laughs> sideways there is a record of this because i'm going to be in the basement of my house with the alarm going off as the cops show up holding a hammer and a screwdriver <laughs> and it, he was joking but he also wasn't joking like the, you know that's a le- he was legitimately in his rights to be concerned about that and eventually he responded back he was like it's cool they sent a black cop <laughs> damn i mean so, i shouldn't laugh but <laughs> shit no but i mean that's like that that is a, a that's a, a real concern right like he you know he's lucky right yeah. like he very easily could have wound up in prison or or worse in his own house in his own home yeah. and that is a reality that a lot of people in america live with simply because police treat black people they treat brown people differently i've witnessed it i've told police to get the fuck out of my ambulance before because yeah. of how they were treating people yeah. like i actually i got real salty before i quit i used to, i just started locking the door of my ambulance and I had one a highway patrol guy like just open the door and you know it didn't open because it was locked and he yeah. started banging on the door and I opened the door and I was like what do you want and he was like why is the door locked I was like how'd you know it was locked yeah I was like that's why it's locked yep. and I shut the door in his face nice. <laughs> like <laughs> like because they'll like on a highway I'm doing a twelve lead on some lady with her whole chest exposed and they'll just open the back doors of my truck because yeah. they think they can because they're like. Police, the the level of like, we're getting off tra- track here. We we're talking about privilege and shit. Yeah. The, I have witnessed police change their demeanor in real time based on who they're talking to. It's not just police, by the way. I've witnessed this with paramedics and fire and like yeah. all public safety, in my opinion, is institutionally racist. That's a hot take from me, but I've seen it. It's one of the reasons I left just because I couldn't take it anymore. But like at the height of the George Floyd protests, I was in a volunteer fire department watching firefighters on the TV, looking at protesters saying somebody needs to get on the top of a building and mow those inwards down. And I couldn't complain because the person who said it was the fire chief. I've heard paramedics say that if they ever got called to court to testify in a police shooting, that they would just lie for the officer because that's whose team they're on. You know, like, so like people have a, there's a, there's a legit. If you have never experienced this, you're lucky and you're lucky because of, I would like you to think about why you're lucky. And it's probably a very surface level thing that you could identify by looking in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's, there's just something about it. I can't, you know, put my finger on. I just, you know, just, oh God. Yeah. And there's so many dudes out there that are that are capable of grasping that they're smart enough. They're, you know, they just got steered in the wrong direction. They got caught up in a culture in, in this thing, trying to, uh, and, and I think the last time we had a conversation about stuff was, was about masculinity. And now we're, we're way the hell off track, but that's trying to get yourself validated. And there are so few options for being somebody that gives a shit <clears throat> about the world about the, everybody around, about random strangers on the street. But, you know, it's, that also validates you for being, you know, you're a dude, you know, and you're you're probably a little insecure about stuff, so where are you going to go? You're going to go to the, 
the people that that care that are like or are you gonna go to the people that are like yeah let's smash some heads in and you know screw those guys it's just yeah i actually like i can come at this from a completely different angle let me try this let me let me put on my 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 empathy pants and and piss off a lot of lefties as i do so the police department near where i live and i as i understand it this is pretty common practice nationwide is if you're a rookie you get put in the worst part of town for the first part of your training the worst part of town frequently being a poor black neighborhood and that has the effect in my view of creating a them us dynamic because you're immediately being put into a community that because of prior harsh policing has come to view the police as an adversary and they're going to treat you like an adversary with good reason in my opinion so you very quickly develop an act like if you trained a police officer in like a really nice neighborhood where they learn to respect and treat other people with dignity and then you put them in that neighborhood maybe some of that would transfer over and they would have a better relationship with people instead instantly adversarial i want you to imagine so police the the institutional like racism and fuckery of the police doesn't just fuck up the 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 civilian population that it harms it, it it's bad for the people who become cops because i want you the most of the people that become cops i think you know there's insecurity there like you said and there's stuff but i almost became a cop before i became a paramedic i had literally i've had my application filled out and i instead of submitting it i enrolled in, param in a paramedic school i yeah. found out i got into paramedic school there's a there, there's an alternate reality like razor thin next to ours where i'm a police officer same so i think about that and I think about why I wanted to be a cop. And it's the same reasons I wanted to be a paramedic. I wanted to help people. And I didn't quite understand. At the time, I thought that's what cops did. You know, I was like, I'm a weird guy. I don't have a problem with confrontation. I don't have a problem necessarily with violence. I want to make the world a better place. I want to keep people safe. I'm a protector. I'm what the devil himself david grossman would call a sheepdog yeah you know i'm i'm somebody who wants to 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 be there for my people and i view my people as everybody not just people that look like me but i want to be there for my people and that's why i wanted to become a cop now i want you to imagine that you take some kid like that fresh out of high school maybe he's got an associate's degree probably not he probably tried maybe he tried who knows but he's got like a couple college credits. He's 20 something. He just was able to drink. Maybe he's fucked once. You know, he's a kid. Yeah. Horny for life. Ready for justice. The American dream. All that shit. And then he goes through basic training. And then this good kid gets shown video after video after video after video after video after video after video of cops getting murdered. He's told every second that he's on the street he's in danger and he has to respond with violence to that danger because his primary goal isn't actually to protect people. His primary goal is to protect his own safety because if he gets hurt, he can't protect people. Right. Makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. what he learns. Yeah. That's what he's taught, whether it's right or wrong. That's what he's taught. And then you send him into a part of town to learn how to be a cop by putting him in a situation where he has an artificially antagonistic relationship with the community that he's not protecting anymore. It's the community that he's policing. And then one night he runs into 
this really good kid runs into another really good kid who for want of circumstances is in the wrong part of town and maybe he looks sideways and then our really good kid who wanted to be there for his people pulls out a gun and he murders somebody in the street for no fucking good reason and now we have lost not only somebody's child who was doing nothing wrong but we've also lost somebody who would have been an asset to our community because we've turned them into a murderer yeah every bad cop is somebody who could have been an asset to the community so like it's like we take the potentially the best of us and we turn them into murderous tools of the state and that just galls me i can't add anything to that that's yeah, there is absolutely something. We've actually had a couple of podcasts where we talked about that. There's absolutely something wrong with the way cops are trained. And, you know, <laughs> Mr. Mister Dave has come up a few times. That that whole sheepdog, sheep wolf thing, it just, man, that I, I, I hate that so much. It's like, dude. Yeah, no. It's... But, yeah, I mean, <sighs> the and as a paramedic because i was an emt I, I i actually for shits and giggles went and got my my emt certification just emtb though not the p um it was literally like twice a week for three months it was you know which is why you end up just being the ambulance driver but still so excuse me DLS <clears throat> saves more people than als yeah 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 that's interesting i didn't know that but yeah so one of the things they teach us is is the scene safe right and so, but who's supposed to make the scene safe? The cops. So they're the ones yeah. that we're not the ones that are supposed to run into danger. Of course you do because that, you know, but we're not the ones that are supposed to secure the scene. We're not the ones that are supposed to make things safe. But so how is it that the cops don't have the same mentality as like, okay, my job is to make things safe. Okay. Maybe, but you're, you, are you making it safe by running in and just like blasting, you know? So yeah, just like Danny DeVito and then yeah, so, all right, uh, yeah, yeah. Scene is safe because they're everyone's dead. So is the dog. So. <sighs> Jesus, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then you know, like the that there's this whole like I could spend hours talking about this, but I would I would recommend anybody who like we haven't lost already to check out a podcast series. It's like. I think it's like eight or 10 hours long total. It's called Behind the Police. Okay. And it's a, it's by Robert Evans, the the Behind the Bastards guy. Okay. Yeah. And they he he did at the when the George Floyd protest broke out, he uh, he was like, "Okay, we're going to do an entire mini series on like the very beginnings of policing in America up to today, and we're going to cover every era of how it developed into what it is. It's very, very good. It's its own miniseries too on Spotify, so you don't have to search through Behind the Bastards if you're not into that. You can just find Behind the Police yeah. and go check that out, and it would be very instructive. But uh, I would, I would, I can give you like a little brief bit of this. This isn't anything Robert Evans talked about. This is my how I think about the police is I think about the police the same way I think about the Sicilian Mafia. Do you know anything about the history of how the Sicilian Mafia came into being? If, unless I'm wildly off, it was a community policing effort. It was I, vaguely something stirs in my brain about how they're just in, in the absence of anybody else to doing something, they solve their own problems. 
So kind of, yeah. So basically what happened is Sicily was transitioning from feudalism into capitalism. And there was a lot of political instability and economic instability. And for many, many years, there was just a power vacuum. There was nobody who could enforce private contracts between business owners. And there are these fruit plantation owners and like olive plantation owners who were like the big, they previously were like, you know, as the feudal lords just went away, they rose as the mercantile class. And like, they were sort of the, the, the new nobility without there being a nobility kind of deal. But there was no, there was no, no system at all really to enforce the, the business relationships between those people. So what they did is they started hiring people to essentially enforce their business contracts. And then those communities of like the families that would, you know, hire themselves out as the enforcers of those contracts, they also started hiring themselves out to the local community to be essentially the police force. They would say, Hey, you have a grievance, you give us money, we'll go handle that grievance. And then that essentially turned into a protection racket. And then eventually that whole thing turned into the mafia as we understand it today. And that is not dissimilar from how the police arose. The only difference is that instead in a, in a very, it's a very gross oversimplification, but that's basically how the police came into being in America. The only difference is that instead of being criminalized, we institutionalized them. Okay. The police are essentially a private gang who was a mix of slave catchers and basically hired guns for private business owners who got institutionalized by the, or deputized by the state to keep doing that kind of shit. And that's how we got police. And not much has changed. Everybody go Google Los Angeles Sheriff's Department gangs. Google that right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've read about that. That's that's terrifying. That's great. So, yeah, I mean, we basically just have like, we have the police are in every sense of the word a mafia. It just so happens that they're a mafia who is obligated to protect certain people and they have extended their protection to certain classes of people who aren't directly paying them, except they are by taxes. Yeah. But yeah, like the police don't protect you, they protect the people that own the businesses that you frequent. And if you dis- if you don't believe that, then I would encourage you to look up who often gets hired to break up strikes against businesses. Usually it's off-duty cops. If you're a private worker and you're trying to get, you know, if you're trying to strike or protest for your rights to have a living wage, it's probably going to be a cop that busts your head in. Mm. If you're somebody who's protesting a right to an abortion ban it's probably going to be a cop that tear gases you yeah Um, every single gain in civil rights and in economic justice in civil liberties that has been made in america has been made by overcoming the opposition of police who have been the enforcers of those laws yeah water hoses and dogs and that sort of thing yeah oof that, that's uncomfortable for people to hear. So, but I mean, yeah, that's that's the point. We gotta we gotta get it out there. So, yeah. Now that we've lost everyone, so okay. Well, this sounds like a great time <laughs> to we're, we're gonna do the segment that we've been doing for I think three episodes now. So it's official. And hold on, I got a button there. Yeah, if you can hear that gong. If you didn't, 
This is uh, where we ask our guests if they, if I could, you know, snap my fingers and you are in a May UFC cage, an octagon with uh, any human being alive presently, and you had to fight them, you know, with, you know, the those rules under, like, Unified MMA rules, whatever, Association Box- Boxing Commissions, those sorts of rules, who would it be and why and in what round and by what you know, technique would you win? So I have to fight by the rules? Yeah, I'm sorry. You can't, like, oh. no steel chairs, no okay. fentanyl. Yeah, I'm I'm not really a, a fighter, like, to be perfectly honest. I, like, I bear, like, I mean, I could probably handle myself against a drunk guy. Like, I've been assaulted enough times that I know I'm quick on my feet. But, like, I don't think I'd, ha- I, I don't think there's many people that I would want to fight that I would last against in a cage. That's why I own a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know let's see who would i want to fight so like the thing about that question is it presumes that i there's somebody i want to fight for the purposes of like testing myself against them in like honorable combat and there's very few people that i wanted there's a lot of people i would like to go into a cage with and have them not come out and have productive careers when i'm done with them but (laughs) but that's not i would not be fighting by the rules if i did that so i don't i don't know i I'd probably get my ass kicked, but I would I wouldn't mind crippling Andrew Tate. Okay. Like I'll take a knee shot at him. I'll hit him in the back of the head just so he's no longer an option for young men. But he'd probably wipe the floor with me. Like I'm not a, I'm not a big fighter. You know, I never followed that know. guy's uh, like kickboxing career or anything. So I uh, I don't know. He just I mean maybe I don't know. I've I don't I I know and I know that I'm not enough as much of a fighter as I could be. That most people who have any amount of professional training would probably wipe the floor with me. I just make that assumption, like because it's a safe assumption. <laughs> but at least you get a crack at, at somebody. I mean, you get a swing. Yeah. You know. You, yeah. However many you can get in. So sometimes that's that's worth it. So I yeah. Know. No, I would definitely like to punch Andrew Tate in the face. I'll say that much. Okay. Hey, that works. You know. You can get the first yeah. first shot in. Uh, literally, yeah, my yeah. first MMA fight, I landed the first blow, and then it all went downhill from there. So yeah. actually, yeah, I need to like I I really want to get into into martial arts. Like I I I took like some uh, some classes from like probably a bunch of the kind of people that you spent the first part of your career rolling. Like I did, <laughs> I remember once I went to well, I did Taekwondo a lot when I was a kid, and that guy was legit. But yeah, I don't remember any of that shit. I was like ten. Yeah. But then I went to a <laughs> A, a Kempo school and it was a dude who learned he got his black belt in Kempo via sending videotapes back and forth Oof. and I was like I don't think any of this is legit and uh, I walked away from that I stopped going because their big business was a uh, teaching self-defense to young women and then in private conversations because I knew the the business owners personally they would get drunk and talk about how there's no way like women shouldn't be allowed to be cops or be in the military because there's no way women could ever he's like any man regardless of training can always beat a woman in a fight and I'm like so why are you teaching women how to defend themselves yeah he's like well you know it's like are you just taking their money like do you do you even think that you're doing anything productive? And he was like, well, you know, I was like, oh, so you're a big piece of shit. <laughs> like, not only is what you're doing ineffective, you're, yeah. So that's my experience with martial arts. Unfortunately, I want to get into, I think I'd like to take like a Krav Maga class or like a, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but like, I just don't have the fucking time. Oh, uh, no. Maybe when I get my work from home gig. Yeah, no, that, that's, it's a huge time sink, especially if you get seriously into it, especially Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Those guys, uh, that's, it can get a little culty on its own too. Then that that whole community yeah. is very very 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah I have a, I have a good friend of mine who's, uh, I want to say a brown belt and uh, he, he's, he's offered to like teach me like in like private lessons and just like go roll with him. And it's yeah. just, again, it's just a time thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. Actually, let me ask you that you're, this is kind of your wheelhouse dude. Who's freshly, freshly middle-aged if i'm lucky as of two weeks ago 36 i am right in the middle of the human life expectancy as i have come to view it because i've seen a lot of people hit their expiration date and it's usually about 72 yeah <laughs> what would you recommend i get into as like a, a legit if i were trying to legitimately learn like practical self-defense martial arts at my age with like say a power lifters level of physical fitness if I was going to recommend it to anyone who has an availability, like they're in a, in a nice metro area with like options, because it's mm -hmm. sometimes it's not an option, I would recommend Sambo, which is Russian. It's mm. a Russian martial art. It combines judo, wrestling, some striking, punching, and stuff like combat Sambo, the way the competitions are held. You'll wear like their version of a, a judo gi and shorts. But you'll also be throwing punches at each other, and you can win by throws or just knocking the dude out and stuff. There's kicks. It it's a really cool sport, and it it it's, doesn't have a lot of the baggage that a lot of the mm. other ones do. Like if you go straight to an MMA gym, yeah, yeah. you're gonna run into a bunch of knuckleheads. But Sambo is is pretty Especially focused. Especially if they watch this podcast. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, our last episode um, was about the problem of uh, sexual assault and sexual predators uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, uh, uh, which fuck, is I didn't even think about that. Huge, yeah. huge problem. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like a couple of years back, we posted a, an article on, of course, the Facebook page, which is just horrible. And it, about instructors, don't try to bang your students. And our, we got an overwhelming, overwhelmingly negative response to that. Just people are just indignant that they couldn't, you know, perv on their their female students. Like, how dare you? I was why the why didn't why wouldn't I have gotten into this in the first place if I couldn't bang my students? Like that kind of those level of comments, and it was yeah. it, it's it's a big thing. Yeah, no, it's gross. So it's especially in the martial arts. There's so many problems with that, and there's oh god, we we've dealt with this over the years. Sexual predators that are lit literally opening up schools and then they're 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 grooming literally grooming not like you know not not what trying to use the word grooming to indicate you know they're, yeah, they're yeah, teaching yeah. you things about the world but they're literally taking like 16 year old like students like, and they're yeah. like you know being super super friendly and like on their 18th fucking birthday saying hey so you want to go out on a date that kind of thing so yeah. and i i know people that this has happened to so this isn't just like uh this is legitimate people that are like, yeah, but shortly after my 18th birthday, this guy who's been training me for a while is, is, is coming at me. So that, that it's a huge problem. So, I mean, let, back to the, the Sambo thing, Sambo's just cool as hell. And I, I'm a longtime friends with Stephen Keffer, who's like the president of the American. He's basically the representative for Sambo in the United States. He's been doing a lot of movie, movie stuff like Stuntman. Like he's been a couple Marvel shows and stuff like that. He's great, dude. He's like the modern Gene LaBelle, which if you don't mm. it, look up Gene LaBelle, I, it's, he, he recently died. He's a legend. So also, if you can't, to answer your question, if you can't find a Sambo school, I like judo. I, I think judo, although it's re more restrictive than Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it has more functional real-world applications simply because by the fact that you're focused on staying on your feet and throwing mm -hmm. the other guy, planting that dude on the concrete, and then get the fuck out of there. 
See, that's that's always been like my critique of jujitsu, and particularly not necessarily jujitsu or Brazilian jujitsu, but Brazilian jujitsu dudes. Yeah, is every dude I've ever met who's into Brazilian jujitsu is always like had this intensity of like you got to learn this shit, bro. You got to learn this shit, bro. You're gonna get into a fight, and one day somebody's gonna whoop your ass. It's like first off, I carry a gun. I don't get into fights. I run away. Yeah. Second, why the fuck am I gonna? learn a martial art that's going to require that i be on the floor where that dude's friend can kick me in the fucking back of the head yeah like that seems like i don't want to be on the ground in an uncontrolled situation yep that's bad not that like i'm sure those dudes are really really legit and what they can do like i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to roll with any of those cats but i also don't necessarily want to learn something that's going to predispose me to putting myself in a vulnerable position if my goal is to just learn how to defend myself with my hands yeah no that, those are legitimate so. concerns back in the early <laughs> days of brazilian jiu-jitsu the, the gracies and I, I don't know how much you know about the, the whole history of it those dudes were just straight straight up street fighters and they would use those techniques focused on the, that sort of thing but as it evolved into a formal sport People yeah. started doing what, what's called guard pulling. They would jump and pull someone down to the ground and then, you know, work their, their little techniques to try and, you know, to get submissions or whatever. And it, it's devolved. It's not focused on that. So judo is the, the sport itself is focused on planting the other guy and, and getting uh, okay. them down to the ground. So, because if you do that, <clears throat> first of all, legal, you can just bounce. You can get yeah. the hell out of there. And for legal liability, it's like, hey, I just did a, a the self-defense move and you know just oh whoops his head just kind of smacked into the yeah so i mean yeah yeah no that, i i like that i think i'll and i've heard good things about judo too yeah uh, what, what do you think about krav because there is a krav school <laughs> just going back to okay so this is my my nerdiness um on the topic in 2001 2002 ish early early like 20 years ago, there was this huge push to expand Krav Maga schools all across the country to, to make it the new hot thing. And a lot of them took. But because of that, they, the, the push involved like weekend seminars to certify you as an instructor. So that. it is yeah. a mixed bag of quality. So there's some dudes that are yeah. legit that are like, yeah, I, I spent 10 years in the Israeli Special Forces and here's my school. And then there's the guys like, yeah, I, I ran a Taekwondo strip, strip mall McDojo. And I got my certification, yeah. but I've been teaching it for 10 years. So so that, yeah, actually, I remember that because I, when I was going to my Kempo McDojo uh, is when that was going on. And I remember looking up that stuff and technically I met the qualifications to go to a weekend seminar to get certified as a Krav Maga instructor. Yep. And I didn't know shit about fuck. Yep. And I was, and I mean, at the time I thought that was really cool. I just didn't have the money to do it. I would have done it if I had the money, yeah. but like in hindsight, how many dudes who were literally just a white belt at a Kempo McDojo became Krav Maga instructors? Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. Just getting back to the whole OG Bullshito stuff. I mean, one of the ways that you separate the the heuristic for whether or not a school is good is whether or not they have live full contact sparring against people that are resisting, actively resisting, trying to impose their stuff on you. And Krav Maga is set up so that. You can't train most of those techniques live because you you can train eye pokes against a resisting opponent maybe once, and then one of you goes to the ER. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and to Matt Thornton, who's a big guy, runs a, runs a gym, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu old-school Jeet Kune Do school um, out of, like, the Pacific Northwest, he, he came up with the term is just, just add dirt, right? If you can control the position, 
if you can get the person where you want them to be, which is both jujitsu and, and wrestling and uh, judo, then you can you have a better chance of poking somebody in the eye or biting their nose off or whatever the you know the the deadly street fighting stuff that you know you'll learn from Krav Maga at even the the bad schools. So yeah. Honestly, I, I I think every every dude, every everybody, female dudes too, should do wrestling if they can in high school because there there's no more of a pain in the ass to deal with on the mats for any any you know combat sport than somebody that went through high school wrestling because they just they're they'll, they'll just they're like a bulldog they will just run you down and grind you into the vent. you're just like I fucking hate you stop let me submit your ass so yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a judo school for sure right, yeah. that I can find. So I'll check that out. And then I guess, I don't know, like I'll probably. So my goal right now is I'm currently working on a Salesforce cert. So okay. like I want to be like, get my work from home job and then like, you know, wake up in the morning, go to the gym, do whatever tasks I have and then just have free time to work on the podcast and then go to like I can finally start going to the range more often I can pick up a martial art and yeah yeah that's and then I can do my oh something I want to plug I have a, a playlist on my YouTube channel none of these videos are mine yet but it's videos that I found that are demonstrate what I think are very high quality instructions for the lay person for basic first aid, specifically trauma care and CPR and like rescue breathing. It's probably about three hours worth of content. If you watch all of that, you will be much better off to like, if you find yourself in a dangerous situation where you need to like do something to save somebody's life. At some point when I have the free time, I'm going to make videos to replace these and put my own spin on it and go way more in depth than they do. Yeah. I just don't have the time right now. But if you are in a line of work or you're a protester or you're somebody who just anybody right now, like the, the world's so fucked up, like you never know when you're going to need to like improvise a tourniquet or a chest seal or how to do that. So go out and it's, it's, if you go to my YouTube channel, which is ultraviolet pod, it's, I have two things on the front page, my videos, and then there's the playlist and just go watch those videos. I have it set up so that there's a kind of like a brief overview video that kind of gives the, the rundown of the subject. And then there's one or two videos underneath that that drills into the details of it so hopefully it's accessible some of it's a little chuddy unfortunately like public safety people like run together so there's none of it's like openly fashy as far as i can <laughs> tell uh, i've tried to keep that off of it but you know you're, you're gonna run into like some some like mill sim larpy stuff here and there but it's i've watched all the videos there the, the information contained within those videos is good and it will do until i can make my own so i forgot to plug that but that's that's kind of a big deal for me is i'm trying to get like productive useful first aid information out to people because i'm tired of seeing people tie a tourniquet with paracord beneath the site of the injury <laughs> i mean what what it even is yeah but you know people don't know like they don't know you know no that's that's great that i'm sure that that'll actually help some people yeah all right we're, we're wrapping this up and i have never been able to elegantly do that so just i'm saying things i'm indicating to the, anyone listening that this is going to stop when we honestly we'll probably just just like clip it off abruptly and play some outro music when we do the actual audio version of it all right.